You sending the wolf? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss me? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, here we are, episode two, season two. Thank you all so much for an enthusiastic response to our premiere last week with Josh Makuga talking about Groundhog Day. And today we're going to do, uh, do a 180, and we are going to talk about Ang Lee's uh, romance and comedy and Academy Award favorite, uh, Sense and Sensibility. My guest is Ashley Clement. Ashley is an actress and a writer and a producer. And um, we were introduced by a mutual friend of ours, Morgan Peter Brown, who is an actor and a producer. And um, Ashley is one of a one of many in a in an incredible ensemble cast in the horror comedy. All the creatures were stirring. Um, so all the creatures is uh, available for you to stream on VOD. And um, and uh, so I had her on, and I'm so thrilled that that we finally met. Um, it we we run in similar circles and professionally and with our, with certain friends. And um, Ashley is is really an inspiring person. She is um, a classically trained theater actress, and but she has also created... Um her original series Sona, um, which she which she wrote and she basically shot in her in her apartment, and uh, it's a science fiction drama. It's really incredible, and she did she did it because she loves science fiction, and because she didn't want to wait around for somebody to give her an opportunity to uh, tell her sci fi story. She wanted to do it herself, and so she did, and. Um, uh, but she's probably best well known for the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, which is an Emmy-winning uh, um, digital series that is based on Pride and Prejudice. And so it makes perfect sense, of course, that she would choose Sense and Sensibility, which is another uh, adaptation of a Jane Austen classic. And, you know, what was really great about this conversation was I had never seen this movie movie before. And not only that, but, you know, I wouldn't necessarily count like a um, costume drama or uh, classical romance as some of my favorite uh, favorite subgenres. Um, but you know, there was a lot about this movie that I really did want to unpack. Specifically, um, Ang Lee's contribution as the director, obviously, and uh, Emma Thompson, and not only as screenwriter but as the lead of the film. I am a huge fan of both creators. I love Ang Lee's work and I love Emma Thompson. And so it was a it was really great to discover this movie. Um, but it was also very interesting because, you know, we this was like the, the beginning of Hugh Grant kind of becoming uh, Hugh Grant. And uh, and in a, you know, coming to this movie almost 20 years later or however many years later, it was fun to look back and see how the public perceived certain actors and certain certain ways and um 
you know, it was it was a real oh, and this is of course one of Kate Winslet's, if not her first feature our theatrical feature. She's so young. I think she's 19 in this movie. Um, so it, it was a real treat to, to discover this and to do it with Ashley because she is so well-versed in, in this, um, in not only in this movie, it being one of her favorite movies, but in terms of the, the classical literature and classical storytelling. Um, so I suggest, I'm excited for everybody to listen to this, even if you haven't seen the movie, even if this isn't the typical, um, um, you know, the typical movie that you would pick to to pull out and watch on a Saturday morning. I think that it's really um, worth uh, your time. And I am thrilled that we got to do it together. So here we go. Ashley Clements talking about Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> spoil all good uh and also we want to get the people to see the movie True. so there's that um okay so let's get started Great. i'm really glad um i'm really glad that morgan um morgan kind of set everything up um for our listeners at home morgan peter brown is an actor and a friend did you know morgan before the whole process yeah he was my connection to the film okay cool so i'm really glad that he uh that he set us up i'm always looking to talk to more ladies uh in general and so and also the the movie that you picked is like it's so unique um in the context of this show i noticed that. which is great i'm so glad about that like i really I really am. So um, I'm excited to talk about it. But I, uh, I had never seen this one before. Oh, yeah. It's um, and so I was curious uh, just to start. Like, did you? Is this a you grew up on it movie? Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. talk to me about that because I find that there are kids who like can do costume dramas and period dramas, but then there are other. You know what I mean? Like, was that? I had a British teacher when I was a kid who said to my mom, she gets British humor. And she started recommending things to okay. my mom that she show me, like ab fab kind of stuff. Yes. And then um, and then when this came out, she took me. So I saw I first saw this movie in theater. Wow. And then uh, I have it on DVD. And it's something that I used to watch every single year. Interesting. And and really the only reason that stopped is because I was in a Jane Austen adaptation and then I needed a little break yeah. from Jane Austen, but, uh, but rewatching it, I just, it's one of those movies for me that just immediately puts me in a good mood. Sure. Even though it makes me cry. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, it's funny because I, um, so let's see, Pride and Prejudice, uh, my gateway into Pride and Prejudice was very recently with, with zombies. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, do you have any thoughts on, like, do you have any strong, as a person who loves Jane Austen, do you have any uh, strong feelings about like incorporating zombies into the world? Uh, I think that, um, I didn't see, uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but I think that there's a reason that we keep adapting these stories, right. that they resonate with us, and we have a lot of really wonderful, faithful adaptations, so why not play? How and fun. if someone says, that's blasphemy, then it's not for them. That's right. fine. I should see it. I don't think it's blasphemy. I it's, think it's fun. It's you know, cute. And I'm also a classically trained actor, and so I really came up studying Shakespeare, mm -hmm. and that's reinterpreted all the time. No one would 
say boo about Shakespeare being done with zombies. True, <laughs> true, true. I um so growing up, did you? Well, okay. So there are movies that when I was younger, I would watch that were more like adult, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. or were not necessarily for children in such a way. And then I, I still loved them. And then as I grew up, I would I would pick up on more and more sort of things that are going on beneath the surface. Was that sort of your experience with this one? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I think I've also grown from relating more to Marianne than to Eleanor. Yes. And I was I was very you know, passionate and and effusive with my feelings when I was younger and and just running around feeling things and I was I so looked up to Kate Winslet. I mean, Kate Winslet, this is Kate Winslet's third movie. Mm-hmm. She was 19, she was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. She won the BAFTA. This really like changed her life. But I that that was like the beginning of of me being really obsessed with Kate Winslet. I was, you know, I think I, I think I had already decided I was going to be an actor because I decided that shortly out of the womb. But uh, she was really somebody who like inspired me, and I wanted to be like her. And so coming at it from that perspective yeah. as a as a kid, and then growing older and really coming to appreciate how much they do with subtlety. How like the acting in this movie is so restrained and. And because it's so restrained, it's so heartbreaking because people, because of the social norms, can't say what they're feeling. They can't really even show what they're feeling. So you're watching people's hearts break right behind their eyes while they keep their face as calm as possible. And that kind of acting really excites me. I Mm -hmm. think that's, that's an underrated talent. Yeah, for sure. And I think that this was a lot of, would you say, I mean, I don't know, I, I would say that this is maybe one a lot of movie that because this movie was a big movie. This was a really big movie, and you know, and I think it's also important to note that like this was this is a romance mm-hmm. that was uh, really championed by a woman. It was a female producer's idea to adapt it. It was written by a woman. Emma Thompson won the Academy Award mm-hmm. for it, and and it was a huge commercial success. It was uh, enormous at the box office, and it's. It's a romance. It is not pretending to be anything else. Right. It has elements of comedy, but that very kind of dry <laughs> Jane Austen uh, British okay. comedy. Stop being rude. Good boy. And and to and to celebrate that that can be a commercial success and a critical success. Right. It was all of these things, and it's it's very female storytelling. Yes. We have these two female leads. Director's a person of color, and yeah. it was 1995. Yeah, it's, uh, the Ang Lee of it all is something that is fascinating. I think it's fascinating to a lot of people um, because he, we know him. There's so many people that know him for Crouching Tiger, uh, and which which is a romance in a lot of ways um, and drama in a lot of ways, but also heavy on action and highly stylized, choreographed action, and of course, broke back and so many other things. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, that was something that stood out to me was the idea that so comedy um and I mean this is this is definitely it's a I would agree it's a romance first but I mean it's a there's Mm -hmm. a lot of comedy in this and comedy as you know we talk about a lot when it comes to film is is cultural right so like one of the things that you know we we notice when it comes to um like when you talk about the entertainment industry and movies that actually translate um, or resonate with audiences over uh, globally, right? A lot of times comedy doesn't 
like the biggest comedy in France often doesn't blow up over here sure. in uh, in the States and vice versa and, and, and everything in between. And so I was thinking about that. Obviously, this is a great piece of English literature, but for somebody, for Ang Lee, who is not a native speaker, forget about language. It's not even about language. It's like, it's like the, cult, what is, you know, cultural, cultural comedy in a way, which very English comedy. Um, and he gets it so, I mean, I'm sure that's a lot of Emma Thompson's beautiful script. And of course, under, he's a very brilliant man and understands the material. That's not really what I'm saying. But like a lot of the a lot of that no, subtle he, humor. He deserves a lot of credit for that. Actually, um, I know you say this isn't about trivia, but I do mm-hmm. happen to know that he he went to England for like six months before the movie to kind of immerse himself in that culture and feel like he understood it better. And something that he spoke about around the film was that like culturally, no, he didn't understand all of these things, but that he did grow up with a more kind of repressed emotional society Mm -hmm. and that he could relate to it in that way. And so, you know, I think there's also something to be said about like the universality of something that, yes, is extremely British. And like nowadays, no, none of these societal norms are the same. You know, we're much freer in society. And it could be very hard to relate to people who aren't allowed to say how they feel because it would be, you know, it wouldn't what's the word it wouldn't be proper for right. uh, a woman to say she likes a man before he's you know declared his intentions or something but I think that people can relate to not knowing how to say what they want to say or being afraid of of being rejected and and um you know whatever the societal norms are we all are worried about how we are presented and how we come across and what people think of us and it's just a very different version of that. Yeah, it was interesting because as somebody who, uh, like myself, who did not grow up, like I, I have very little experience with not only Jane Austen, but like the the on film, the period, the period drama, or the the um, costume drama. Would you say this is a costume drama? I mean, it was nominated for costumes. Okay, so like, so sure. There's some very <laughs> impressive costumes. Um, so it was. There were moments to me where I found myself going, "Wow!" Like obviously, there are moments that we can all relate to when Kate Winslet has the when she basically finds out that you know, he's, he's off doing other things and he's in love with, or he's marrying another woman. And that conversation that she has with Emma Thompson, where there, she said, well, did he told you right, he loved you, still right? defending the guy who just absolutely betrayed her. Yes. And also going over like the terminology, like, well, he, he didn't say it and mm-hmm. say it, but he might as well. I was just like, that is such a it's still stated, but every day implied, but it's such a modern thing mm-hmm. of, of like, you know, well, you know, I, I think we're we're exclusive, right? But you we nobody even said it. I don't think we're seeing anybody else. Exactly. But well, we, well, I guess I guess we never said we're exclusive, so I guess he didn't technically cheat. Exactly. Yeah. It was so like that was one of the more mm-hmm. modern things that I found myself being able to be like, okay, yep, I'm totally with you. But then there were other moments where you know, and especially too, because coming to this movie, you know, thirty year, thirty years later, or however many years later. Um, Emma Thompson is such a strong, like badass lady to me, mm-hmm. and not to not to say anything about her characters, uh, in, her character in this movie. I'm just saying that I'm so used to her being the outspoken. Right, we don't see her be this restrained. Exactly, but she does it so beautifully. Absolutely. And then when I mean, to me, when she bursts into tears at the end, I cry every time. Yes, like because she's held it in and built this tension for you know two hours. Yeah. 
then when all the emotion comes out, it's, it's so heartbreaking and so beautiful. And, and they did such a great job of really showing how those two, you know, the sense and sensibility, uh, right. that they kind of switch, that Marianne kind of calms down, um, as she lets go of the more kind of passionate idea that love has to be this fire and, and settles into the real kind of companionship yes. and, and mutual admiration of Brandon and Eleanor finally really getting to have this like, you know, outburst moment. And, and we just, we see the, the two of them kind of swap a little bit. It was sweet. It's just, it is sweet. And their bond and their relationship is very, um, meaning the sisters is so, um, it's nice to see. It's an, it's a, it's really nice to watch play out on screen. And there's a lot of compassion there, I think. And I think that that relationship, you know, at its core to me, yes, there is a great romance and there are great romances, but to me, that was the more interesting Mm -hmm. dynamic was between all the women. Yeah. And I think, I think that we're starting to see more things coming out, celebrating female friendship, but it's still something that every woman feels is an intricate and vital part of their lives and yet not something that cinema has tended to focus on mm-hmm. because it's it's just not considered to be like high stakes and and interesting or, yeah. or you know it's the sort of very like female films and you could call this you know a female film but Ang Lee directed it it was nominated for best picture at the Oscars it won the BAFTA for best film like this is a studio movie. Absolutely. This is, a, this is a big movie. And it has major male movie stars in it, you know? Like Hugh Grant's in it. Alan one of Alan Rickman's. Alan best Rickman performances is to me. When Alan Rickman died, that one hit me really hard. Yeah. And this movie is a big part of the reason why. It was also uh I wanna I'm gonna double check something, but I am ninety nine percent sure. Uh because Die Hard is in the eighties, right? Yeah. Die Hard is an 80s movie. It's yeah. like 89. He played a bunch like of villains yeah. when this happened. So that's the thing that I love is Alan Rickman means a lot to so many different mm-hmm. people because he has had so many right. iconic. He's touched a lot of different that's, types of genre lovers. Yes. And like, for instance, okay, now I'm looking up Prince of Thieves. Um, because and of many people love him as Snape. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, after doing these huge villain roles in mm-hmm. Die Hard and in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and in seeing him in this, this way, um, it was nice. And it's something, by the way, like it's something that even with the Snape of it all, I mean, you know, um, spoiler alert for Harry Potter, I suppose, but like Snape, <laughs> Snape had good reasons to be doing the things that he was doing. Debatable, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that, I think that when you cast an Alan Rickman in that role, it was great because we know he, we still feel the, like the empathy. That's exactly right. There's something about him that you're like, Oh, do you need a hug? Yes. That's exactly like he, he, we know he can do the villain stuff, but we also know that he's going to be able to convey, Mm -hmm. you know, the reasons for long pining. That's right. Yes. And here he is, you know, pining quietly and unobtrusively through the whole film. And, and and what an example of a of a male lover, you know, none of these men are like doggedly pursuing women who continue to reject them. Right. You know? They're he's going, Oh, I see that you're interested in Willoughby. I'll just back off and I'll facilitate him being you two being able to be together. I'll invite him to the Delaford picnic because that's what makes you happy. Right. Not let me try to elbow my way in here and you know and he doesn't even tell the truth 
about what he knows about right. Willoughby's character until he has already broken her heart. Right. And then and then only in the hopes of, of making her feel better, of saying, just so you know, you, you kind of maybe dodged a bullet. Yeah. You know, rather than going, well, actually, he sucks anyway. Do you have um, sympathy for Willoughby at all? I... My uh, to to me the the biggest flaw in the movie, but but it's also a flaw in the book. So it's 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 Jane Austen's fault is that we don't really address what happened to Beth. Yeah, and I think absent of the Beth thing, sure, I would have sympathy yeah. for Willoughby. Oh, you you love Marianne, but you need money and you have to marry a woman with a fortune. Sure, I can yeah. have sympathy, but. I don't think the the story really delves enough into the consequences for a woman who is ruined yeah. in these societal standards. And, um, you know, all we know is that she has returned to the country for the rest of her confinement. Mm-hmm. And then we don't know what kind of life is available for Beth, but not a good one. Yeah, it kind of is that whole like, um, no, no, I took the puppy up to the farm and uh, it's fine. You know, yeah. like, don't don't worry about your puppy that left. And it's like, yeah, you went. I feel like this woman, yeah, is being shipped off. Someone and, should write the spinoff of Beth. That, I would like to I see that. I would like to see what happens to Beth? Yes, um, all of it. I would. I would watch a movie all about Beth's story, and it's interesting because, um, you know, there's a very strong parallel between Colonel Brandon and Mr. Rochester, mm-hmm. although of another era. Um, that that comes later, the Victorian era in which um, Jane Eyre was written. But he's like the happy version. Mm-hmm. Like Rochester, you know, was separated from his lover and then is like raising her child, but is miserable and you know has his wife in the Anakin and, and all those things and Colonel Brandon is like a bunch of bad things happened and I've still found a way to keep going yes and believe in love and focus on the positive so um he's great but yeah no I, I think that with with the factor of Beth no I don't have any sympathy for Willoughby yeah and I wish that that other characters were a little bit more appalled you know because Marianne is then like you know, yeah, he didn't love me enough. He would have he would have married me, but if it wasn't for the money, I'm like, and he ruined Beth. Yeah, life. I mean, lady, if he, it's kind of like the if he cheats with you, he's gonna cheat on you kind yeah. of thing. Like, you know what I mean? So I was yeah, like, like, lady, if he did this to her, like, what makes you think? And you would have just like been okay with his yeah. like, illegitimate child being out there in the world. You would have just put that out of your head. Yeah, somehow. not the best. Yeah, not the best dude. Yeah, I'd say not, not great. And and we we understand that as something to make us not like him and yet there's this just sort of kind of missing part of the story to me sure follow up on beth hit me up yeah you're you're welcome for that brilliant uh idea (laughs) she's the side cool that we'll have (laughs) um so uh, let's talk about hugh grant um because so i wanted to mention uh it's similar to emma thompson um because she's and I want to like really talk about her in a second because she is just like the coolest lady. Mm-hmm. I I want to be friends with her. Yes. She's a dame now, and I'm like, girl, yes. She wore sneakers to be a dame. Like, did you see her outfit that she wore? No, did she wear sneakers? Oh yeah, that she wore sneakers. So she wore pantsuit and sneakers, and she was trying to kiss Prince William, and it was just like the cutest, sweetest, most awesome thing. Uh, but Hugh Grant, so. You know, coming to this movie for the first time in almost 2019, um, you know, I I know too much about Hugh Grant. You know what I'm right. saying? It's right. like, and and listen, 
I love him in Bridget Jones' Diary. Me too. I even I even like The Edge of Reason. Um, I like those two books a lot. And uh, I never read or saw um, Baby, but um, he's not in Baby, well, int- right? He, uh, he, Darcy is... He Firth is in Baby, and it's Patrick Duffy. <laughs> Spoiler <Yeah>. alert. <laughs> um, uh, but Emma Thompson is in it, and she script doctored it. For Baby? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, it's fun. Like, Bridget Jones' Diary, the first script, I think, is actually quite tight. And oh, yeah. Good. Um, and Baby is a bit of a mess, but when it's it's like a nice revisit with all your favorite characters. Yes. And, um, yeah, and Pat, Patrick Dempsey comes out of nowhere, but it's fun it's i i would recommend it okay it's worth a couple hours. i'll complete the trilogy um but uh, i liked it better than edge of reason i will say that okay interesting good so. i remember really liking the book edge of reason mm-hmm. um and but i think the movie i mean i definitely know i sat down and watched it once and then sometimes if it's on tv or whatever i'll be like okay you know this is dumb but fine um but hugh grant so i love him in that i Love him in Love Actually. Where do you stand on Love Actually? Um, Since we're entering into the in, holidays. In that, in that this is problematic but still enjoyable line. I, I love it. I love Love Actually. I mean, yes, yeah, sure. I love certain plots more than others. Of course. Um, I would agree with that for sure. Um, and actually, it's funny because I was thinking this as I was rewatching the movie as there's so many, uh, this you know, in that movie, Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson are married and Hugh Grant is her brother. And here they are. Yes. I mean, it are. was a fun Again. little Love Actually reunion and a Bridget Jones Diary reunion mm-hmm. because of um, the lady who's the mom and she's Bridget's mom. Yep. Gemma, I can't remember Gemma her name. Yes. And, uh, and then there's Hugh Grant, of course. And then, of course, a bunch of them are also in Harry Potter. Yes, um, of course. So. so it's just a big English fest. Uh, Imelda Staunton is um, Umbridge. Oh, right. That's yeah. right. Yes, yes. Um, and she's very funny in Sense and Sensibility. She is. And um, But yeah, so I uh, I know too much about Hugh Grant now. I know that, you know, And people... I can't remember what year that happened, so I feel like it happened after I this. I think because Notting... shortly after this. Yeah. Well, Notting Hill came shortly after this. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not even really... T- you know... His, his like, whatever, legal indiscretions and mm-hmm. whatever, that, that doesn't bother me as much. I just think that the word has gotten out that Hugh Grant is a dick. Like, he, I, I hear such awful things. Like, for instance, Jon Stewart <laughs> tells a story. Like, somebody asked him, like, as he was leaving The Daily Show, you know, is there any guest that you were surprised by or you didn't like having or, or loved having or whatever. And he said, oh, Hugh Grant will never come back to my show ever wow. again because wow. he was needlessly rude and mean to our staff. And he was like, and he like said it like that, meaning wow. there's no reading. And that's like hard to come by. Right, and John Stewart's a mensch, so he's not going to say that about... I mean, I like to think so. Mm -hmm. Um, But so, I say that because I'm like, I wonder, I'm watching this, you know, kind of... And it is such an arch... You know, like a very Hugh Grant, like, you know... Well, she wrote it for him. I mean, and you can can tell, Mm -hmm. because it's so for... It's so that typical, or that archetype of a Hugh Grant performance. But, um, but yeah, I just... uh, Man, it was... It was hard for me to, to... to pine for him or to want Emma Thompson mm-hmm, to end mm-hmm. up with him. I think because I I've been with this movie since yes. I was a kid, like I still have that response of, co- of to course. It. But no, I I hadn't heard that about him being a you know, I knew about the thing in the nineties, obviously, but I I 
I hadn't heard that about him being terrible, and that makes me very sad. What I do know is that Emma Thompson loves him yeah. and loved working with him. So I know that he was good to work with on this movie. And I also know that um, he, you know, his star was starting to become quite bright yes. at the time, and and so was Emma's. And something that Ang Lee also talked about was having to like rein them in and and hew the most. Oh, and basically like not let him do his stuff. Mm. And that's why this is the most understated performance you've ever seen Hugh Grant True. do. And it's because Ang Lee didn't let him do, you know, like his kind of bumbling floppy yes. hair thing that he was doing at the time. Yes. Yeah, it was um he looks very young too. Yeah. He looks I like mean, they all look baby. so young now that we've yeah. been following their careers for so long. For so many decades. Yeah. They just look like little babies. Yes. Uh, Kate Winslet especially. I oh mean, my she's god. 19, she's so literally she a baby with she her has like she still has her baby fat. She's so sweet. And her sweet little cheeks. Um so all right, Dame Emma Thompson. I just think it's important to note boss and lady. I I, she's such a boss lady. Mm-hmm. And I tried to find the exact piece of trivia that I was looking for, but maybe you know it. Um, again, not a trivia contest, but I do think this is interesting. I want to say she's the only person, the only woman for sure, to be nominated for like a behind the scenes Oscar. And she's the only actor, period, of any gender to win both screenwriting and. Acting. Acting. Yeah. And yes, is that still true? I think so. Because I, I mean, was, think about how many actors have won screenwriting. Basically, it was Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, and neither one of them have won for acting. Right. Ben is now one for directing. That's maybe what I was thinking of. Was you're right. That's that's what I was thinking of. Was directing because he I knew he had won, yeah, he, he had won Argo. something for Argo. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. So I just think that that's really important. It's to talk about. Important. It's super cool. And and you know another reason that this movie ended up being the one that I chose, uh, aside from just being one of my favorite movies, is that. This is an example of an actor who had not written a screenplay before writing a screenplay and then starring in it. Wow. And as someone who writes and stars in her own things, I find that incredibly inspiring and exciting and, and trailblazing. When you are writing for your for yourself, are you interested in adaptations or are you mostly creating original work or is it a little bit of both? A little bit of both. Okay. Okay. Yeah, most recently I made a complete original sci-fi series, but currently I'm working on a Shakespeare adaptation. So wow. you know, I have wide ranging interests. That's great though. Difficult to pin down. No, but that's <laughs> as, as is our girl, Emma. So really, um, the ear with the best of them. <laughs> have you ever spent any time in England? I did a semester of college in, in London okay. and it was just great. And yeah. I would love to live there. I kind of made the choice of staying in America and, and doing the slightly easier route. It's it's tough for Americans to show up in England and be like, I would also like to, to act. Right. Here in this, uh, it's hard it's hard enough to do it in your own country, but it's, I love England. I would love to go back and hang out for like a long time. Like I'd love to go back for a week, but I'd also just love to go spend a month there. Yeah. London is one of my favorite cities in the whole world. I just think it's so cool. It's a great, great city. And it has some of the greatest theater in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm a nerdy theater kid. And I, I possibly because I was bred on so much English, you know, film and TV, I felt like I understood a lot of the culture when I was there. Sure. And that was really fun to just sort of pop in and be like, oh, I know how this works. 
Do you think that um, talking about like Jane Austen and talking about Shakespeare, do you feel like, um, you know, obviously we talked a little bit earlier about like repurposing uh, for for modern audiences, you know, like in Clueless and in uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and the list goes on and mm-hmm. on and on. But do you do you think that there is an interest for like a wide, a mainstream audience for traditional or classical Shakespeare and classical adaptations now? I don't know. As someone who, who, I became very interested in Shakespeare as probably a teenager. I think I was really in high school when I got really into Shakespeare. And then I ended up going to an MFA program that really emphasizes Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And that was just super normal to me. And it wasn't until I sort of got out of school and started interacting with the real life, uh, the real world, that I I realized that most people find Shakespeare very intimidating. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we present Shakespeare now we kind of owe it to our audiences to make it something that's engaging and relatable now. Mm -hmm. And also Shakespeare's been around for, you know, 400 years. I've been in, I've been in and I've seen very classical Mm -hmm. adaptations of Shakespeare and I find them to be the most boring. Yeah. I think that there will always be a place for that. People will always be doing, you know, true Renaissance Shakespeare. But I, I, I don't need to wear a ruffle collar and 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 do it. Right. So I I think we we make Shakespeare relevant today by putting it in a context where we show how those themes are still applicable. Mm-hmm. And though you know when you look at the kind of Shakespeare adaptations that have been incredibly successful, like Baz Luhrmann's Romeo mm-hmm. and Juliet, you see that like when we put these things in a modern context, then all of a sudden people are like, oh, Shakespeare's mm-hmm. fresh and new. And and plenty of people feel that way about Jane Austen, and I, I know that because I was in an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice called The Lizzie Bennet Diaries, mm. and so often I heard from people, because that was a completely modernized mm. um, vlog-style adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, basically like watching short little quirky YouTube videos, but so many people said, this was my gateway into Jane Austen. Yes. Like th- I, I was able to enjoy and read the book after I watched this right. because I understood it and I kind of understood the context of what's happening in the book better because it was paralleled for me in, in a modern way. Yeah. Because it is hard to, it's hard to understand what it means. You know, here we are in Sense and, Sense and Sensibility and, um, you know, the daughters can't inherit. You can't split the fortune right. anyway because of the way that it's, you know, sort of whatever like legal loophole there is. It can't be split up. It has to go to the sun and then the women get 500 a year. We don't know what that means. We have right. no idea what the equivalent of that means. They go to live in this small cottage that's still like this very large by right. today's standards house. And, you know, and everyone's so condescendingly like, oh, you live in a cottage. We love a cottage. But it's hard in our in our context to go, how poor are they? Right. And... Um, and actually the film tweaks some things in order to emphasize that. They, they, they make the wealth of the the um, Dashwoods at the beginning before they move out of their father's house more than it really is mm. in the novel in order to create the contrast. Sure. You can see like, look how we had 20 servants and, you know, a dozen bedrooms and now we're sharing a bedroom and we only have Betsy and Thomas. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I remember I am... Um, 
when I was in uh, I, my first year of college, it was in New York City at Marymount, Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And um, we took like an art and theater trip. It was a couple of weeks in December, I think. And we went to England and uh, we they got us tickets to a bunch of different shows. So we saw so much theater um, and some was very traditional and some was very modern. We actually saw an adaptation of the um, the movie, The Celebration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and The Celebration, I, I don't know why I'm blanking on who the director is it is a very famous internet foreign or international movie anyway doesn't matter the point is that um I saw an ad- a production of Lear, of King Lear. And I want to say it was like whatever the fancy, you know, West End like theater company was. Um, so it was the best of the best or some of the best of the best by, by all accounts, I suppose. And I left. Hmm. I couldn't sit there anymore. And it was, and, and I try really hard to, even in the moment, I remember thinking like, you're not going to see, this is probably the only time you will be in this position where somebody gave you these tickets and, you know, you're seeing this production of this show specifically, uh, in England. Um, but it was so hard to access and it, it is long, of course, but I, and I, I just, I didn't leave, like, I think I left it in, in an intermission probably. I think Lear in particular too, really depends on the performances, you know, like, Ian McKellen was recently doing Lear, and I don't care how they said it. I would sit for three and a half yeah. hours and watch all of it right. because I'm watching a master right. of his craft in a defining role. But short of that, it would be very hard to sit through Lear without without your Lear being somebody who is really tremendous. And, and it's not like he's in every scene because he needs breaks. Yes. Uh, so you really, yeah, I, I think... I think in all Shakespeare, but especially in some of the longer, wordier ones, you mm-hmm. need you need tremendous talent. Yes, and you know, just because it was in the West End doesn't always mean that that's sure. I mean, it was fascinating. I did a full semester in London, so I was there for four months, and because I was there as part of a theater program, I saw two plays a week. Great. So that was a lot of plays, and we saw everything from stuff at in the West End to RSC to Shakespeare's Globe to smaller, yeah. more avant-garde kind of out there weird theaters where we had to like take multiple tubes. <laughs> um, uh, and I saw just a really incredibly wide range of stuff. Yeah. And I saw masterful Shakespeare and I saw Shakespeare that I actively tried to fall asleep during because I couldn't leave. I was mm-hmm. there with my whole class. Um, yeah, I saw a production of A Comedy of Errors at, at, at RSC uh, we were like we were in Stratford upon Avon, and I actively tried to go to sleep because yeah. it was just terrible. Yeah, but the oh, comedy of errors isn't a great play to begin with. Not not one of his best. Um, but it's it's entirely up to you know to to different productions, and and we have to we have to make things interesting and relevant, but not just different for the sake of being different. Sure, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so one other thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, I I started using these AFI lists um, be just as parameters. They, mm-hmm. They're they're not. It's not really very important. Um, the the idea was if I asked somebody to like pick a movie that we could talk about, I knew that inevitably somebody would be like, um, here's a movie that no one's ever heard of and you can't watch anywhere. And I was like, okay, well, and I'd be like, okay, well, I can't do anything with that. So the list is not important. However, over the course of 
30-something episodes, I have started to really become interested in these lists and how they're put together mm -hmm. and why they're put together in certain ways. And um, as far as I know, nobody is, you know, off the top of my head, nobody's really picked anything specifically off of the passions list, meaning, you know, Vertigo is on multiple lists, mm -hmm. but but Beck and Rebecca McKendry picked that one. Um, and But she wasn't like, because it's on the passions list, you right. know? So I say that because I want to talk about the fact that this movie is number 70 on the list of like, you know, according to the American Film Institute of the most romantic love stories. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I find that so, I don't know. I find that really, do you think it should be at 70? Do you think it should be higher? Do you think it should be lower? Do you think it it's, should? It's higher for me. It's, you know, it, it holds a very special place in my heart, but I, I can see how, I, I'm actually very glad that that they, you know, because it's not called the love list or right. the romance list. It's called the passions yes. list. That they recognize that that quiet, broiling, you know, very, like, rarely expressed thing that everyone is feeling is a kind of passion. And that it's just not being expressed in kind of, like, big sweeping ways. Of course, we see Marianne have her, you know, poetry spouting and, you know, literally sort of, like, throwing herself across the bed, big, passionate, you know, weeping scenes. But Eleanor's love is every bit as passionate. It's just contained. Yeah. And because she's more concerned with societal standards and, and doesn't know how to express herself and, and has been, we see her very much become a parent mm -hmm. in that movie as well, that, that her mother is grieving, that she, yeah. she finds them a place to stay she is ordering the you know the the food and she's she's got responsibility mm -hmm. she can't just kind of like lie around and and wonder like who might i marry uh and we also know that she's getting um old enough she's actually only i think 19 in the book but um but in this film adaptation they made her older because yeah. emma thompson was 35 um <laughs> so she's getting to a place where it's unclear whether or not she will ever be married and so she's kind of resigned herself to that, but that resignation still, yeah, carries this kind of, in some ways, I don't know, more admirable, is that the right word? Like this, this slow burn of, of what she feels that like, she's just going to live with that. Like mm -hmm. she has this, this speech when, when she finds out that, that Edward is marrying right. Lucy Steele, that he, you know, she says like, this is, this is the way it is. He made a promise. He's being an honorable man. You know, I couldn't tell anyone. That sucked. And this is what's going to happen. He's going to marry her, and we're going home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her heart is breaking, and yet she is so strong in that. Like, Marianne's heart breaks, and she weeps yeah. nonstop for days, and then, you know, walks out in the rain until she's so right. sick she almost dies from it. And at no point does Eleanor even let herself stop and feel pain. Yeah. Like she has to be that strong. And I love that, that AFI recognizes that as passion. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's, it's obviously, uh, you know, a, a story with great love stories and we really kind of have these three major love stories and, and three very sort of different kinds of love in them. 
but yeah, but it's a passions list. And I like that. It, I like, I like that we can recognize the passion of, of something quiet. Yes. I think that's, that's a really good point. And speaking of the passions list, so everybody gets to add something that's not on the list, uh, to the list. Do you have anything? Did you decide? I know before we started recording, we, there was still some decisions. Well, does it have to be to the passions list? Oh, it can be to anything. You can put, no, you can put it on anything. Um, what do although, you and now I would have to check and see if it's on it. We've been talking about Bridget Jones' diary. That is another one of my very favorites yes. for the passions list. Well, you can put it on any list you want. Any list. Well, something that I was surprised that I didn't find when I was thinking about what movie to pick, it's on the quotes list, which I feel like kind of barely counts. Uh-huh. Um, but I thought for sure it would be on the whatever they actually call the like most inspirational mm-hmm. list. Um, was um and then the name of the movie flew out of my head. Oh, that's okay. That was there two seconds ago. <laughs> um, a League of Their Own. Yes. I couldn't believe that A League of Their Own wasn't on the, you know, the kind of most inspiring list. It, it, it literally only makes it for There's No Crying in Baseball, which yeah. is not enough uh, yeah. to me. I think it's one of the great American movies, and I think that, you know, there have been less films directed by women to put on the list, but that there is a lack of female directed films and Penny Marshall directed that. And you know, it has some, yes, it has some of the most quotable stuff from it, but like, I feel like everybody knows and loves that movie. And that to me, I was like, this is, I mean, if just not straight up one of the 100 best, like it's a, it's a truly great movie. We, we've talked about it only briefly on this show. Uh, I think I did a little mini talk about it with Rachel Cushing, who's a friend of mine and I play in a movie trivia league with. <laughs> um, and we actually are first, like we do, it's it's a whole deal, but it's basically wrestling with movie trivia. Mm. So but wow. we, so we don't wrestle, we, we play movie trivia, but I there see. are entrances and factions and characters and like the whole deal. <laughs> and it's, it's very elaborate. Uh, but when she and I teamed up, um, our uh, our first entrance was as the Rockford Peaches. And, um, you know, that movie is an exceptional film across the board. And oh, it's I have the if it's not hard, you know, I have it yeah. hanging right by my door <laughs> with Dottie. Um, and it's my it's my background on my That's iPad so funny um, I because I like to remember it you know and 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 she I am so in love with Gina Davis um as a woman and as an actress um and and it is shocking to me that 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 movie is not as appreciated as it should be and again you you pointed out beautifully yes it has a lot of quotable lines in it but there is so much more those lines don't work unless they truly explode off of the screen mm-hmm. within the context of the whole film. Yeah. And and so like it frustrates me a little bit that when we're talking about great American cinema, also for fuck's sake, it's baseball. Like it's baseball, it's a huge It's World part, War II. It's a huge part of American history yes. that nobody knew about before that movie came right. out, right? And yeah, and it's World War II and every other World War II movie gets, you know, like awards thrown at right. it. And but it's about women. Yes. And so it's just not considered in the same category. But it was the first movie I thought of when I thought, oh, what would I want to talk about? And then I immediately went to the like whatever the most inspirational movie list. I was like, it'll be on this one. And I was like, What? Yeah. Oh, and then, you know, I searched for it and I was like, 
There's no crying in baseball. That's that's all we've got. Yeah, all line a man says. Yeah, and I, I felt like that was that was an oversight. That's a you know with that one particularly the the cheers list right, which is the most inspirational. Cheers, that's, uh, that's what they call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and how do you not you you cheer like crazy? I mean, in that yeah, movie. it's a sports movie for God's sake. Like you're, it's all cheering. Um, yeah, and you know my my friend Lorraine, um, she picked Ray, and I want to say Ray is the number one hundred most inspirational movie and I was like you know you we can think about Ray Charles story and overcoming sure. but that is a dark movie I don't know if I would call it an inspirational movie right I think it was just a way to sneak that movie onto the right. list but also like talk about rewatch value yes are absolutely you, how many times are you gonna watch Ray and how many times are you gonna watch A League of Their Own how many exactly times have I watched A League of Their Own yeah I mean I couldn't even begin to count yeah I agree. I agree. It's, um, yeah, it's a, a lot of these re- lists need revisions. Uh, and AFI has yet to call me to get my opinions, but, um, <laughs> and the opinions that I have discovered over talking to many guests. AFI, hit Clark up. Yeah, I'm she here. can help you I out. I'll answer your questions. But no, it's true. But because also, you know, I, I think there's, yeah, it's been at least a decade since they've updated those lists and there's, yeah. there's new things coming out. And, and, you know, some of the movies on those lists are on the list because they were really groundbreaking at the time. Sure. And they, like, invented elements of cinema that people are still using today that yep. didn't exist before that movie. But, like, are you sitting down and watching those movies outside of a film studies class? I some, mean... Some of you are, absolutely. But... Yeah, I mean... Like, just because it's old doesn't make it good. No, absolutely. And, like, that's part of the reason why I like the opportunity to ask people if they have things that they would add, you know? Because I think that one of the things that has become a very common thread throughout this, the, the um, you know, the the tenure of this podcast in particular is this list, these lists are made by a very certain type of person. Mm -hmm. And I like having different voices come in and say, well, actually I work in this business or I'm a cinephile or I love movies and I don't look like the people who Mm -hmm. make the AFI list, but here's what I think and here's my experience. And then you start to, you do start to question certain things. And then Inevitably, you find some things where you're like, actually, yeah, that's exactly where that belongs is like right there. <laughs> yes. You know, I, mean, I also thought of a lot of movies where I was like, this should be on the list and looked at it. And went, oh, it is on a list. So like, right. it's not like there aren't very sure. good. They're very good lists. Yes, they can be. Uh, I this, will say one bone I have to pick with this passions list. Uh, what's yeah. number one? I didn't even pay attention. Oh, that's a good question. I have it pulled up right here. Um, the bone I have to pick is is, oh, it's Casablanca, which sure, talk okay. about longing and yeah, like yeah. burning. Can't quibble with that. I do love, and then number two is Gone with the Wind. Sure, that's a very passionate film. It's a very passionate film, but is it a love story that you like are rooting for? I well, that's know. what's interesting is that, you know, it's like sometimes passion's all wrong. True. For true, instance, true. and this is my bone to pick, number 18 on this list is Vertigo, the story of a fucking stalker who... I, I just like when yeah, I that that doesn't make any sense. No, nope. I mean unless well, it is interesting. They called it passions. They didn't call it romance or love, as 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 we said. That yeah, I guess you could argue mm-hmm. passion mm-hmm. and stalking. But again, that's kind of why I was pointing out that like Colonel Brandon is an ideal romantic partner in a film because 
there's so often we see that trope of like, keep pursuing her until yes. you change her mind. Yes. Wear her down. Yep. And I, and I do think that this is a, this is an example of meaning Alan Rickman's character is an example of, of a longing, a different mm-hmm. kind of longing, right? And that we don't see. How often do you see men longing? Quietly pining? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and saying, you know what? I respect this woman that I love. Mm-hmm. And he's not sitting around like, I'll wait. I'll wait. Right. He's, he's just going, I want, to, I want her to be happy. I will do what I can to that's facilitate right. her happiness, whether or not that is with me. Right. And if she so chooses as she grows up or as she Mm -hmm. makes different or as she changes as a person, Mm -hmm. people evolve as people all the time. And if she chooses that she wants to consider me in in that fashion, then great. But if not. Right. But you don't feel like he's just hanging around. No, exactly. Like until that happens. He's also going, well, I can, I'll just enjoy her in the way that I can. Right. And at no point do you think that he's weak. Right. No. At no point do you think that he's cowardly or emotional right. or, you know, any of, of those things we think are negative for men to be. That's right. Um, even though it's not, feel your feelings. Yes. Oh, please, for the love of God, feel your feelings. Feel your feelings and let them out in a form other than rage. Yes, and, in a healthy manner. Um, <laughs> and be like Colonel Brandon, basically. All, just all men should be like you Colonel know, Brandon. at the end of the day, Alan Rickman, be like Alan. What would Alan Rickman do yeah, is the question. That's a great tattoo truly. that you should get. <laughs> Yeah, I think that if I could add a movie, I, because nobody has ever picked this one before. Um, oh, yeah, like Grease is on here. Oh, Are you fucking yeah. kidding? I, also talk about like, change yourself to please. Yeah, me. D- don't get me wrong. I'm I'm going on the record as saying I love Grease, but also that ending has not aged well. Has, That's what I would say. It hasn't. It no. hasn't. But uh, my addition would be The Princess Bride. Oh Princess my God! Bride is it not on this list? I mean, it's on list. another list. It's on is the. It, it's is on, it on the, quotes. It's on the comedy list. I think. Is it? I definitely saw it on a list because I also was like, okay, I, I could do Princess Bride. It just felt like that makes me feel honestly. a lot better that you say that it's, you've seen it because it was on a list. I don't know if I had ever noticed it had been recognized, but either way. Um, so okay, this is not a podcast about the list, but now I'm going <laughs> off on a tangent. Um, well, okay, so when it comes to... It's on, no, it's on the passions list. Is it not on the passions wait, list? Wait, did I miss it? Because I, I made notes of possible things I could do. All right, wait, I, we got to go go to the go to the iPad. I just got a new iPad, so I feel very fancy. Um, yeah. The Princess Bride. Okay, I am looking, I am looking, I am looking. I am looking, I am looking, I am looking. Ah... Uh, Oh, it's there. Okay. Good job, AFI. It's number 88. I'm so glad. Okay. Yeah. I thought about that. I thought about When Harry Met Sally. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Oh, I love When Harry Met Sally. Uh, All the Rob Reiners. Yeah. He's a... And Nora Ephron. Oh, so good. All right. This could go on forever. (laughs) Um, So before we wrap up on this one, uh, I want to tease to our lovely audience that Ashley has a movie out, uh, All the Creatures Were Stirring, which is a fun um, horror Christmas movie, comedy. 
Yeah, uh, all, they're comedy elements. Christmas. Some some scares, some laughs. All right. I love it. I love that. And directed by my friends, uh, our friends, um, Rebecca McKendry and David McKendry, which is great. And produced by Mortar, Morgan Peter Brown, who we talked about earlier, who is coming on the pod also. Um, so we're going to do a quick mini episode over on Patreon. So you, we're going to talk a little bit about the movie. Uh, and, and also, uh, I'm going to pick your brain about... And you don't even know this, but I'm going to pick your brain about Christmas horror and like genre, genre blending. Great. Let's talk about that. Okay. But before we do, so that's your little tease. Um, Regardless, go watch all the creatures we're stirring and uh, support indie cinema because I just love that this is like a thing that exists and there's lots of cool people in it. Um, Is there anything else that you want to say about Pride, or I said Pride and Prejudice, about Sense and Sensibility that we didn't touch on. Um, the last thing that I'll say for, for fans of the book as well, just in, in more praise of our girl, Emma Thompson, yes. is that uh, her adaptation is so good that she takes scenes that are not in the book and and through them tells us so much about character and the plot, but the the opening of Sense Sensibility, there's almost no dialogue for the first mm. big chunk of it. And it's very descriptive and it's it's just uh, the Dashwoods were poor and they didn't have any money and their dad died and they had to find another place to live and their uncle or their cousin offered them a place and you know, John decided not to give them any money. And she turns those into scenes mm-hmm. in which we learn so much about character. And that's just the, really the hallmark of an incredible screenwriter. Yes. And it was her first screenplay. I love that that is the thing that you bring up because, um, and it feeds perfectly into our side conversation that is about to be on Patreon um, because I feel like Andy Muschietti's It did the exact same thing uh, in terms of like, finding, knowing the material and the essence. And then how do you make it into cinema? And when I'm, I'm a big, you know, when people are all like, Oh, the book's better than the movie. We have to change it for the movie. Yeah. Like the book is its own thing. If you want to read the book, read the book. But when people don't change things in order to be cinematic, because it's not faithful to the book, I think that weakens the movie. I agree. So I, I so appreciate screen adaptations that are true adaptations for the medium that that we're working in. Yes, yes, agreed. All right, we're going to put a pin in it, and then we're going to come back. Ashley, thank you for chatting. This was so fun. Thanks so much for having me. Yay! Alrighty, friends, that is going to do it for us today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation, maybe learned a thing or two, and uh, enjoyed spending some time with Ashley. I know that I did. And coming up this Thursday on Patreon, so for our $5 monthly subscribers or contributors, um, I have a a mini with Ashley where we are talking about, uh, it's kind of, it is an extension of our, uh, of our, the end of our conversation here about adaptations and horror and um, Christmas and all of those things that of course tie into um, her new movie All the Creatures Were Stirring which you can watch on VOD now Um, so thank you all so much for listening I think you're really going to enjoy that episode that is going to be available on Patreon on uh, Thursday so if you're interested in checking it out you can go to patreon.com slash Clark Wolf and see what is going on over there so thanks again for listening 
Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe and uh, and and rate and review the pod and tell your friends, and that's going to do it. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>